The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 9. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's King Lear with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. This episode will bring us to the end of Act 1, Scene 1. For my money, one of the most exciting opening scenes in all of Shakespeare. We've had so many characters introduced, so many relationships presented and destroyed, and such high stakes from the beginning. The king has abdicated. He's chosen to give the kingdom to only two of his daughters and their husbands. He's banished his favourite child, leaving her to marry her suitor without a dowry. And he's also sent away one of his most trusted advisers, who has ten days to leave the country or be executed. It's been quite a full session at this British court. Now Cordelia and her new husband, the King of France, are left alone with Cordelia's sisters, Regan and Goneril. France encourages Cordelia to say goodbye, saying, Bid farewell to your sisters. Cordelia has quite a few words for her sisters, and she addresses them both. The jewels of our father. With washed eyes, Cordelia leaves you. I know you what you are, and, like a sister, am most loath to call your faults as they are named. Use well our father. To your professed bosoms I commit him, but yet, alas, stood I within his grace, I would prefer him to a better place. So, farewell to you both. She calls her sisters the jewels of our father. Regan and Goneril have managed to stay in Lear's favour and said the right thing, so of course they are the preferred children now, the jewels in the crown. Lear didn't even address them as he left, so we are left to wonder what he really thinks of them. It might seem sarcastic of Cordelia to address them like this, but she's also very sincere. She explains that she's leaving them with washed eyes. Cordelia is in tears. But she's not a complete wet blanket at all. Perhaps she's learned from her earlier error in judgment. And she now says, I know you what you are. And like a sister, am most loath to call your faults as they are named. Of course, Cordelia knows her sisters well, since they are of the same household, but what Cordelia is saying is that she knows what they're like, and opts for sisterly discretion rather than trying to call out her sister's faults by name. Whatever we've made of the speeches that Regan and Goneril made, we haven't necessarily been left thinking that they're bad people. But Cordelia has no problem mentioning their faults, albeit in the same breath that she says she doesn't want to name them. She moves on instead and tells the sisters to use their father well, to look after him. She commits him to their care, to the bosoms that have so recently professed so much love. Use well our father, to your professed bosoms I commit him. Cordelia now wishes she was still in Lear's good books, concluding with a rhymed couplet and saying that if she could, she'd be encouraging or pushing him towards a better place. But yet, alas, stood I within his grace, I would prefer him to a better place. 
Is she suggesting that she'd be encouraging Lear to stay king? It would certainly prevent so much of the grim story that follows. But she is not in his grace any longer, and so she has to go. And she ends with a farewell to you both. The sisters aren't going to let her leave without some comment. Regan says, Prescribe not us our duties. Very much the sense is, don't be thinking you can tell us what to do. Goneril continues, also finishing with a rhyming couplet, but a sarcastic one. Let your study be to content your lord, who hath received you at fortune's alms. You have obedience scanted, and well are worth the want that you have wanted. She's telling Cordelia to focus on her own new husband and keeping him sweet, since he's been kind enough to take her as a wife with no dowry. Cordelia is coming to him with little more than whatever few scraps she may have begged or saved. As Goneril puts it, she has neglected her duty to their father, obedience scanted, and... In a pretty complicated and repetitive line, she scoffs that Cordelia deserves her new poverty as a reward for the wit or manners or savvy that she lacked. She is well worth the want that she has wanted. A rather unpleasant dig from your older sister. Rather than getting involved or stooping to this level, Cordelia gives another couplet with a little bit of a threat in it. Time shall unfold what platted cunning hides, who covert faults, at last shame them derides. This is a little more obscure than much of the language we've heard, just because it's tightly woven to make it fit into these two lines. What Cordelia is saying is an echo of the age-old saying that truth is the daughter of time, that everything comes out in the end. Time shall unfold everything that cunning has hidden, and cunning is plaited or pleated, so there's a sense that there's an awful lot folded up in its creases. This clothing metaphor is even more complicated than all those ones we heard in Macbeth. The second line is almost a warning. Whatever is hidden by cunning will come to be revealed or unfolded in time, and whatever faults... This is the second time Cordelia has said the word, will leave the sinners mocked or derided and shamed. This is rather prophetic, if you know the play, and it's a great last couplet for Cordelia, now that we won't see her for a very long time. She then says, Well, may you prosper. And that's it. Her royal husband says, Come, my fair Cordelia, and they exit. The scene began with two men talking, with Edmund in the background. Personally, I think there's a world in which Edmund can find a way to stay on stage during this end of the scene, because he's going to speak to us very directly in the next episode. And I think there'd be something very neat about this scene beginning and ending with Edmund listening to two figures in discussion. Wherever he is, we are now left with Regan and Goneril just two women, where it had been two men at the start, and in another mirror of those first lines, we again return to prose. Goneril speaks first and says, Sister, 
it is not a little I have to say of what most nearly appertains to us both. I think our father will hence tonight. It's no accident that Shakespeare has Goneril call Regan sister. They're going to have to be allies now that Cordelia is gone and their father is going to retire and live only for pleasure. In their houses, as he has announced. Goneril is saying that she's got quite a bit to get off her chest. It is not a little, I have to say, of what most nearly appertains to us both. They're both going to have to deal with this. In monthly rotation, Lear and a hundred knights are going to be living with them. It's very easy to overlook that Goneril and Regan presumably do not live with Lear any more. They live with their husbands in their own castles. So this strange day, back in their father's castle, must be rather peculiar indeed. Cordelia and Lear are the ones who still live in this place, although, of course, Cordelia's just been kicked out. And now Goneril is worried to point out that Lear and his huge retinue will be leaving tonight. I think our father will hence tonight. Regan answers that yes, it's happening. That's most certain. And with you. Next month, with us. Lear is indeed going to set out tonight, she's saying, and go to Goneril's. And then next month, he'll be with Regan. Even though Regan and Goneril are sisters, they are princesses of the realm, and so Regan addresses her sister as you, instead of, say, thee. It's possible there's a little joke here, when she says next month with us. She might, of course, mean herself and her husband. Or she might be rehearsing the royal plural, now that she's in this new power-sharing agreement. And you can imagine the sharing isn't going to go especially well. Goneril is more concerned about Lear's erratic behaviour. She says, You see how full of changes his age is. The observation we have made of it hath not been little. He always loved our sister most, and with what poor judgment he hath now cast her off appears too grossly. Lear's huge reaction to Cordelia has been a major change of opinion. Kent, too. Goneril is concerned that he's old, and his age is making him do shocking things. And the quantity of these strange things that she has observed, or she and her husband, hath not been little. Apparently, Lear is going through a lot of these episodes. He always loved our sister most, she acknowledges, and the poor judgment of disinheriting her like this is all too obvious. It appears too grossly. So his judgment is not sound. Regan is less sympathetic. She snaps that "'Tis the infirmity of his age, yet he hath ever but slenderly known himself.' This is a double whammy. She dismisses Lear's behaviour as being a result of his old age, and then she also comments that Lear has never much known himself. "'Know thyself,' was an important maxim, dating as far back at least as the Oracle of Delphi, where it was inscribed on the Temple of Apollo. It was an essential thing. In Shakespeare's time, it was beloved of many humanists and philosophers as a phrase to live by, know thyself. 
Regan seems to think that Lear has never been bothered by deep thinking or knowing himself at all. Goneril looks to the future now, envisaging what might be ahead. The best and soundest of his time hath been but rash. Then must we look to receive from his age not alone the imperfections of long-engraft condition, but therewithal the unruly waywardness that infirm and choleric years bring with them. Even at the best of times, Lear has been a bit rash, and now she's saying that as he gets even older, they can look forward not only to the imperfections of his personality, long engraft or accustomed as they already are, on top of these foibles of their fathers, they'll have to deal with the unruly waywardness, as she kind of unkindly puts it, that infirm and choleric years bring with them. So her dad is going to become more rash as the years go by, as well as weaker and angrier too. There's not really much sympathy or gratitude in how these ladies are discussing their father, whom they've been enjoined to protect. And all that love they were swearing about earlier on seems very thin on the ground. Regan says, Such unconstant starts are we like to have from him as this of Kent's banishment. She's likewise anticipating more fits and starts like this shocker that saw Kent exiled from the country in permanent banishment. Goneril continues, There is further compliment of leave-taking between France and him. Pray you, let's hit together. If our father carry authority with such dispositions as he bears, this last surrender of his will but offend us. Goneril seems to think that there's some kind of formal farewell, compliment of leave-taking, between the King of France and King Lear, so they should probably go and be at that. But she suggests that she and Regan stay connected. Pray you, let's hit together. Because if Lear plans on continuing to wield or carry authority, as he has done for so long, then he may not really want to give up all his power. And so this last surrender, splitting the kingdom between these two ladies, may not go all that well for them. So they'll need to stand their ground and stick together to keep this power they've been given. Regan says, we shall further think on it. She's quite clever and wants to see how things go and have a think about it. But Goneril is fired up. She wants to act. And she says... We must do something, and the heat. And with that, the two sisters depart. We don't really ever find out what specific plan they cook up together in this heat of the moment, but it is a good exit, because it's active, and they look like they're off to do something. So now, is Edmund left alone on the stage? Has he been eavesdropping and enjoying all the drama and intrigue of this crumbling kingdom? He's going to come and talk to us as we move into Act 1, Scene 2, but obviously we'll hold off and give him the mic in the next episode. Just a little heads up, I'm directing a production of Aeschylus's Persians at the moment at Ireland's National Theatre, and as a result, with your indulgence, 
there will be no episode next week because I have the little detail of the premiere to get through. I promise that Edmund's speech will be worth the wait, so do bear with me or come and see the Persians at the Abbey Theatre in the meantime. Thank you so much for your company and I'll speak to you very soon.